0: This is the Guardian.
1: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Joy for the Tartan Army. The last time they scored twice in the dying minutes to take the lead in a qualifier, they nursed it up by letting one in in injury time against England. This time, the only nursing was from the Norse players on the pitch, the shattered Norwegians down on their haunches we'll cover England's win in Malta yet more Trent Alexander Arnold chat is any player talked about more disaster for Wales against Armenia Ireland carry on being not very good and Northern Ireland lose a tight one in Denmark Spain win the Nations League sneaking past Croatia on penalties in transfer news Ruben Nevers takes the Saudi coin Arteta talks to PSG presumably to say not a chance thank you you lunatics and Eric Ten Hag is angry about not buying anyone it's good by Martin Tyler hello Peter Drury let's hope he's not as biased against insert the name of your team you support as his predecessor. All that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Jordan Jarrett-Brien, welcome.
0: Morning, mate. How are you?
1: I'm very good. Hello, John Bruin.
0: Hello, Max.
2: Um, is it that you're not on social media that means you speak in a very brisk Business-like fashion is this.
1: This is oh, new. You was that too quick? Was it like? Was that? Was I? It just rattled yeah. through that intro. Like, oh wow! You know, it's like
2: wow. a, a newsreader on you
1: know le- local news or something like that. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, God, that doesn't sound like a compliment to <laughs> at all, does it? It's where <laughs> I'll end up. Look east, here we come. Hello, Lars <laughs> Sivertsen. Max, you sound refreshed. Uh, right, right. Uh, Yeah, obviously. Well, we'll get to that. My pompous, virtuous uh, (laughs) social media break. Uh, Nicholas said I had a vasectomy on Friday and the physician and nurse were offended that I was going to listen to the pod rather than chat with them. I decided that as it was a Nations League pod, small talk and cauterisation was probably preferable and less painful. We will get to the Nations League, but first, Scotland, the most exciting moment of the weekend. Barca Jim joined us. Hello, Jim. Jim Burke. Hello. Hello, Max. Hello, boys. How are we? Really good. And not meant in a patronising set. I know you think I patronised the Scots, Jim. I are not helping me here. But that was, that. those last two minutes, the commentators, I think it was the Sky commentators, just losing their shit. Oh. at when Kenny McLean scored. I mean, it was a brilliant finish, but what a moment.
3: That was a, I, as a, I actually didn't see the game because I was gigging on Saturday night. And I've got the alerts on my phone, right, on my watch, right? So I knew there was only a couple of minutes to go. Up comes live score, goal! Uh, oh, we've equalised! Like, yes, we've equalised. Then a minute later, another goal flashed, and I thought, "Yeah, we've Scotland it, lads. We've Scotland it. We've equalised, and then thrown it away in the very last minute." And then I scrolled up, and it was like, "No, we haven't. <laughs> we scored!" Oh, it was absolutely fantastic, fantastic. It's just. I mean, Lars. I mean, how does it feel to be Scottish
2: this
4: morning? Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm. I, I I I'd almost written off this qualifying campaign for us after the Georgia draw because I'm prone to defeatism when it comes to these things. Uh, but this was um, this was quite horrifying. But it, it's something I sort of thought about before the game, which is. We, we obviously have the headline acts of Arling Holland and Martin Odegaard and a couple of other names people recognise, but we are very dodgy at the back on paper, and it proved so on, on the pitch as well.
1: Um, Jim, in terms of sort of historic Tartan army moments, sort of in recent history, what, there's France away, um, yep. with that belter in the top corner. Um, but I can't think of too many moments that are up there with this.
3: Not in terms of... Snatching a victory from the jaws of defeat, we are masters of the converse. Do you know what I mean? We can get ourselves in a fantastic position and then nose it up completely. Uh, so I, I'm really struggling to remember a time where we didn't, we weren't Scottish. As in, we're two, we're one nil down, and it plays out, and there is no chance of any kind of redemption whatsoever. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's just like I I'm, like still, buzzing. I'm yeah. still buzzing, um, yeah. Um, and, I mean, I love, a, I love a goal rolling in, John, like Lyndon Dykes, where everyone yeah. can see what's going to happen, especially the lad going I'm down awful. with cramp. Whether he, I mean, I think he probably did have cramp. Jim doesn't think he did. I think no. Niles probably thinks he did. But that was a just, just the Norwegians. Just everyone could see what was going to happen, but no one could do anything I, about
4: I, it. I believe him on the cramp thing. And uh, we're talking about the equalizer, Leo Leo Oestegor, who, if you watch the highlights, you watch the game, you'll notice it is. It is one of those where um where it looks like your defender has just like the MacBook is trying to do too much at the same time and you get the spinny wheel of death like <laughs> and you hear the, yeah it looks like that's happened he just kind of freezes uh and he explained to Leo to afterward that it was just he he suddenly got a cramp in both his legs and his legs were not responding to to commands which sounds absurd, I guess, for a professional footballer. But the thing is, I think he's completed 90 minutes twice or something for his club in 2023. He's not a regular for so he's not used to playing 90 minutes of football. So you can see why that might happen. Uh, And um, yeah, goal. And then for the second goal, actually, listening to the coach, Dolores Wobacken, after the game, I think he was angrier about the second goal because an individual mistake, tired legs, okay, as a coach, you just have to take that, I guess. But for the second goal, everyone kind of rushed I think people had kind of gone, oh, no, we've got to get this back somehow. And they were kind of rushing ahead and, 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 and suddenly there was just a massive gap on that left flank. There was just no one there. <laughs> uh, everyone had run away, which is not what you want to see. Because even as disappointing as 1-1 would be, we, we, we would have been slightly less dead in the group with the draw, at least. you know. So uh, miserable stuff all around.
3: In fairness, Lars, the reason they probably ran up the park was somebody said, lads, it's Scotland, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> they're thinking, this is not what Scotland do. We know if we press them, we're going to get the winner. So I, would, I, would be, I wouldn't be as harsh on your lads for that because history tells us that they probably would have scored the winner.
1: John, is Scotland good?
2: I feel like I say this quite often on the pod, is that Steve Clark's a really good manager and uh, has done a great job for Scotland. And- That idea of Scotland being there or thereabouts, he's taken them closer. Okay, they only qualified for um, the Euros. I missed out on the World Cup. But it it does feel that they're a much more solid outfit. And if you are a team like Norway, and let's face it here, Lars, you've got Odegaard, you've got Haaland, and then you've got nine other mopes. You know, you're thinking you're going to be on the end of something here from Scotland because... um, and, and actually, you know, the players there playing at a, a, a high quality. Uh, McGinn plays his part in that, that that winning goal, which was which is a beauty, by the way. It was you know uh, a, a great piece of teamwork. Um, and I don't see why Scotland shouldn't be uh, if we've got a twenty four team Euros. I think we have stopped at now these days. I don't see why they shouldn't be at that. That they're you know, and I say Steve Clark, excellent manager. Underrated guy, I'm told, away from his uh, very publicly, um, how do we put this? Uh, dour outlook, he's one of the funniest people you can meet. You know, great. And, and, and yeah, I can only pay tribute to Steve Clark and the players he's got. And Scotland have brought through some good players. And when Jim will know this, 10 years ago or so, we had the likes of Gordon Strachan talking about how Scottish people were too small or were quick enough. And uh, there seems to be some sort of um, eugenics that Gold- we Gordon was talking about then. <laughs> um, but thankfully, Steve Clark's proven that that wasn't absolutely necessary.
0: Yeah, Andy Robertson after the game was talking about, the. F- I think he was asked the question, are you, are you now through? Do you think you should be qualified? And he said, yes. He said, if we don't qualify from here on in, Um, we failed. I don't know if, I think I might be paraphrasing there, but, um, I think they've got Georgia next. Is that correct? You've got Georgia next. So you'd like to think that they can get at least a draw there. The mere fact they've beaten uh, Norway away. If they can get at least a draw at home, I I think he's probably, probably correct there. But I find it interesting that he was so bullish in coming forward and saying we, you know, nine points, three from three. If we don't qualify from here on in, we've bogged it up.
1: Jim, do you, um, how do you feel when you hear a Scottish player talking in, in, in that way?
3: <laughs> I'm not comfortable with it. Let's just put it that way. You know, I, I, I can't begin to say, look, we're not conditioned for it. You know, that's one of the things that when England are in a tournament, that you England, certain English pundits have that sense of entitlement about them, that where your natural place is, You know, since 1978, Scotland, we've known where our natural place is, right? And it's not at the top table. So it's... But the Georgia game is by no means a foregone conclusion. It's... I mean, they've only lost one in the last 16. They beat Bulgaria 5-2 away in the Nations League. You know, they're... You know, it's it's not... It's really not a foregone conclusion. And I'm... You know, my giddiness will wear off in about an hour and a half. And then... (laughs) And then the, the pre Georgia nerves will settle in. You know. Um,
1: uh, before you go, uh, Jim, um Brendan Rogers back to Celtic. How are you feeling? <laughs> conflicted
3: in truth, right, conflicted in truth. As you know, Max, the um you know that the the my feelings about Big Ange leaving have not subsided and you're Integral part in that whole process.
1: <laughs> Still,
3: there is a punishment due, and that punishment will come. I will accept um, it. But no, I, I, I'm ha- happy because um, I was at a, a pals' funeral on Friday, and it was all the Celtic lads were there, and I say ninety percent of them were behind it. But one guy, he was, he was just not having it. it should be nowhere near the club, and I said to him, "Look, it, it's Celtic. It's the Scottish Premier League." We've got a guy who took Leicester to two top five finishes, took them to a Europa uh, League semi-final and won an FA Cup. And arguably his last year was because the owners pulled the rug financially on him. You know, and and to get a, a man with that CV who also knows the club, who knows Scottish football, you know, I've had to put quite a lot of bitterness behind me, you know, so that I can embrace this new you know, um, our very own managerial Jake Humphreys taking the reins again for the
1: second time. <laughs> um, uh, actually, Jordan, I wanted to get your thoughts on Pastor Coglu in a sort of hot take mould. Are you slightly nervous that that's a good decision, talking about a good decision?
0: I actually am. I actually am. Um, I won't profess to being an, a, an expert on him, but I've done some reading up on him and his track record seems to be solid. Um, and, and, I, and I like the way that he's quite bullish. My only thing for Spurs, though, would be I'm not entirely sure it matters who the manager is. I think it's the person above the manager that ultimately has to find out and work out what kind of club he wants Spurs to be. Is it about making money as a priority? Is it about playing good football? Is it about winning trophies? And I think until Daniel Levy and his colleagues in, in the boardroom really ascertain what it is they want Tottenham Hotspur to be... You know, Guardiola could go there and I still think there'd be limitations in what, what Spurs could achieve. But I think it's a, it's a good appointment. I'm interested to see him in the Prem. He seems to be a character. You wouldn't, you know, that more than, more than most. But I'm, 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 I'm not sure if the ceiling that he can achieve will be fulfilled because of, of what's happening above him.
3: Yeah. Um, Jordan, I hear what you're saying, but I do not believe that Ange would have taken the job without assurances about what he would be allowed to do. Because although his CV on paper is not a, you know, it's Australia, Japan, Scotland, he does not suffer from any um, lack of self-belief and self, you know, he's got a very, very defined and profound vision. And I genuinely don't think he would have let the discussions go any further if he didn't get the assurances that he wants. Yeah, so I think that um, I can understand from the outside that's how it would look, but from what I heard through my, you know, people I know at Celtic, it was a case that this is now my club, this runs the way I want it to run, Um, and I would be very, very surprised if he hasn't asked for the same assurances.
1: Um, look we're at risk of talking about football that people care about and this is specifically a Nations (laughs) League Euro qualifiers uh, podcast Uh, so uh, uh, Jim uh, enjoy your hour and a half of giddiness and enjoy the Georgia game later thanks for coming on Uh,
3: listen nice to see you all again guys see you later boys cheers Cheers, Jim Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Barca Jim, Jim Burke there. Uh, Let's do the England game then. They beat Malta 4-0. Trent Alexander-Arnold, I feel sorry for who has to come up with these stats, becomes the first Liverpool player to score from outside the box for England in a competitive international since (laughs) Steven Gerrard against Moldova in September 2013. (laughs) Hopefully not a full-time job for whoever that is, just sitting there going, Gerrard, (laughs) and then just waits every England game for the next decade until he does it. But, John... The most interesting part. I'm really conscious that he's talked about so much, but the most interesting part of this game was him playing in midfield and playing really well.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's something that uh, it's become a a, a cultural a culture war, hasn't it? The discussion of whether Trent can play uh, midfield. Um, Now, uh, my view has often been that okay, he's played as a defender for five, six years. How easy is it to walk into midfield? And learn all the other traits of midfield, which are tracking runners, uh, you know uh, switching positions, covering positions, you know it, it's a different discipline. Now, the only thing with that is that when Trent was brought into the team, it was brought he was brought in because he, Trent Alexander Arnold, can I call him by his full name? I think I can. Yeah, yeah When Trent Turner was brought in it was because he was the most promising youngster. they needed in the team they thought he needed to run in the team put him at right back it's a, it's a fairly old style what, uh, means of putting a player into a team he just happens to be really good at it or one aspect um do England need a playmaker who is gliding passes across the put the pitch in the manner that he is i'm not sure that that is a particularly modern way of football and in a, a, against a team other than Malta it would be quite so effective but in a game like that, he took his chance, played very well, and gave Gareth Southgate... Uh, he made Gareth Southgate think that that's a possibility in the future, but it did remind me a little bit of the old David Beckham quarterback thing. Do you remember this? When uh, Beck's decided that everyone else was rubbish in the team, he wasn't particularly incorrect in that, and he was going to sit and drift and switch play and all this type of thing. I'm not sure it worked then, Let's see how it works out. and this is the truth, isn't it? England need to win the big games against the biggest teams. Would you fancy, would you fancy Trent Alexander-Arnold, to give him his full name, playing in that position in those matches? I'm not sure yet, but it's a possibility.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I would prefer, of all England right-backs, probably better him than, I don't know, Rob Jones or, or Paul Parker, giving it a try. But John makes a really good point, Lars, about the different skills you need, right? And one of those is like taking the ball in really tight areas. When you're at right back, you tend to have time on the ball when you get it. I think his first touch is good enough, but you sort of think at that elite level that if you're constantly doing this, and I guess in training, they're all playing in, you know, th- these little tight six-a-side matches, you learn all those skills. But that that's the, that's the point, isn't it? It's, it's enticing Alexander-Arnold, Rice and Bellingham as a three, but do you do that against... Germany in the semifinal of the Euros or
4: yeah I, I feel like that's kind of like you'll um, let's cross that bridge when we get to it but uh, it's also an element of yes at fullback yes the game is mostly in front of you so you're, you're kind of well you, you're definitely not worrying about what's out to the right because usually that is the sideline and then you have to, to the left and in front of you is where the game is happening. Whereas if you're in central midfield, you have to have a much more sort of 360 degree awareness of what's going on uh, and to be able to turn quickly. And as, as John said, track runners know where you're meant to be in the shape. You know, you, you can't just plonk a guy into midfield and say, you're a midfielder now because you're good at missing um, the ball. It, it is a little bit more complicated, but I think it's certainly worth trying. And it's worth noting that when he was playing very well as a fullback at Liverpool, you know, if you look at positionally on the pitch, like he would get into that sort of right-hand channel very often, anyway, and and that was a big part of how Liverpool played. Um, I, I forget who we did actually have a tweet before the show about how we. Like we 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 obsess over positions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I've got it here. I've got it here. It's um Pete says, Given the talk around Trent playing in midfield, Stones playing in midfield, etc. Do you think people get too hung up on what position people play, and should we acknowledge that traditional positions have changed and players need to be flexible? With yeah, hundred percent.
4: Because the thing, you know, the, the thing that people do now with Stones, Stones' role at City has kind of flummoxed the people who put the formation down on paper before the game. Because he has one play, he has one position when the team has the ball, and a completely different one when they don't. So, what what kind of formation do you put down? And and it, it's actually quite—it's a weird, It doesn't matter, but it's an interesting little thing. I think you. You see some actually put him in midfield now in the lineup because that's where he is with the ball. If you go back a couple of years to when Liverpool were flying under Jurgen Klopp and Trent Alexander-Arnold was playing at right back, you kind of do a similar thing with that and put him in a completely different part of the field. Because when they had the ball, he would always, always, always go forward and end up often in that sort of right-hand channel area of the, of the the of the field. So in that sense, that's not a huge change. It's a but it is different. But defending in that part of the field uh, against a good opponent, and I but I do like that this was tried against Malta. I mean, this this felt like an enormously pointless game. I mean, I, I I'm a big fan of international football, uh, but this break after the club season has just finished. I I don't know, man. It's it's uh, difficult to get hyped for. Uh, but but at least if we're going to have these games, might as well try something new. But I would like to see them try it. Uh, against Ukraine away uh, in the qualifying in, in September, but then also when they play Italy in October, uh, that that's when you have actually a, a game that matters a little bit, um, even though they're very, very comfortable in the group, of course. But uh, you have a couple of games coming up against slightly stronger opponents, and I would like to see this tried then.
1: Interesting point. It's really the graphics department at TV studios who are upset because they can't just put up a graphic going, this is the team because people move around. Your thoughts on it, Jordan?
0: Yeah, I, I find this trend thing quite interesting as well because I heard a discussion on the radio a few days ago that was talking about it. And the, the, the point that was being made by the, the, the journalists that were talking was that they feel that he's technically good enough and he has the intelligence to to play that role. But also he's playing with players that, at their clubs, be it Arsenal, City or Liverpool, many of whom play a variation of that type of inverted fullback in midfielder, in midfield anyway. My kind of, I guess, pushback would be the reason why it works so well at Manchester City is because they're able to work on it and coach it every single day for a year. Southgate doesn't have these players for every single day leading up to the Euros. So whilst I understand what he's trying to do and I think it works I think he was brilliant caveating it was Malta no disrespect um when it gets to the real meat and 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 um gravy meat and gravy meat and veg if you like with a bit of gravy of the tournament next year in Germany against the best teams do we have enough time to ensure that that works well that would be my only concern and I think and it's only a, it's only a guess the gap that Southgate was thinking about but it's a uh, re-sign a contract to go on to another tournament, I, w- I think he was wondering to himself in the next tournament or two, am I going to take a risk or change what I've been doing to going forward, or am I going to trusting the last two tournaments have gone pretty well and it, there's no need for wholesale changes. Um, and, and I think that time he took to kind of think about it was whether he was going to listen to people that were saying, you've got to change it, you've got to change it or stick to his guns. And it seems to me that he's prepared to change it here. I just question whether there's enough time on the training field for him to really implement that to be successful come Germany next year. I, I feel that
1: you did disrespect Malta there. It I did a be... little bit. I did a yeah, little bit. Totally yeah, I was wrong. getting that. Yeah. 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 Getting that vibe. And I, you know, if it was Mark Langdon, it would definitely be the meat and gravy of the tournament. <laughs> <That's been laughs> clear about that. Anyway, uh, that'll do for part one. Uh, part 2 we'll begin with the Nations League final. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Carl said, did anyone approach Nations League guru Barry at his local last night and ask, why on earth are they playing extra time and not just putting us out of our misery? Lars, even you didn't have Nations League fever last night.
4: I, I didn't. I feel it often falls to me to be the one who's like, this is actually really interesting, you guys. You know, <laughs> look at look at, look at Modric and his, uh, you know, yeah, look at that Danny Almost kind of some fun players here. But no, I, I was struggling. I was really struggling. And I, 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 I kind of hate this. Thing. You shouldn't go on a podcast to talk about football to explain how much you didn't enjoy watching the football. That, that's, that's nonsense. No one's listening for that. But I've, I've also got to be honest, I, didn't, uh, I, I did not get hyped for the Nations League. I, I do think the Nations League is, is a successful concept. I think it works really well. I think if you look at what the various countries want, the bigger countries want more meaningful games against strong opponents, check. Uh, mid-ranking countries are kind of looking for more ways to qualify to tournaments, check. And the smaller countries, they get more meaningful games against similar levels. I mean, it, it's great. It takes all the boxes. I just worry about the timing of this sort of finals because I've not gotten the sense that many people have cared about it. That said, I don't have any family members who are like Croatian or Spanish. So it's, it's entirely possible that I'm disrespecting huge swaths of our listeners now who for, for whom yesterday was a huge occasion. This could be true.
1: But... Yeah, I, I, but I think actually sometimes we sort of get we get sort of caught up with how important this is and that is and etc. And, and when you look at the crowd, John, not every one of them has to be a football obsessive. But they really, you know, if your team are there, you support them and they win a penalty. Me, it's not everyone going to Baston loves every minute of Test cricket, but it's a great down and you support your team. And that is a good thing. And you could see at the end, obviously, you get carried away with what's happening in front of you. The game wasn't great, but a penalty shootout is always great.
2: Yeah, the shootout was great, although I have a theory now that, that footballers are getting too good at penalties. But it's like, yeah, that this this idea of, you know, uh, obviously, we as proud Englishmen, well, uh, uh, we, 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 was this idea of, um, oh, it's a lottery, you don't practice or whatever. But, Teams do practice it clearly, and they're bloody good at them. And it's a surprise when anyone misses or, or saves. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, Simon made two brilliant saves. You have to say, brilliant penalty shot. Um, this game, went on for so long, uh, and it felt it felt like it dragged on the season. It felt like it had gone on for so long that. We had to, we had to bring back characters from the past. So Hosulou suddenly has reappeared in football, yeah. And uh Mikel Marino. So it went on for so long that we're dredging back sort of walk on parts from Newcastle from about six or seven years ago. And it just suddenly like and then and then halfway through the game they announced that Hosulou's signed for Real Madrid. I mean, come on. This game game had dropped into this vortex of absolute nothingness that it just started stirring out. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Stirring out chaos theory, so that so we could be entertained. (laughs) Because on the field, let's be let's be quite frank here, chaps. Nothing was going to happen, was it, until the penalty shoots out from the very early stages. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say Andros Townsend, friend of the show, obviously. Uh, his enthusiasm, just Wow, you know, I, I want Andros around if I'm feeling down. It was great.
1: <laughs> and that's the point is if you're doing there's different. Right, we can go. This was good and this was shit. If your yeah. job is to host the talk, the game, you can't go. I just don't give a. F- I don't give one about this. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm just I'm here to work on my broadcasting <laughs> career. Frankly, you don't yeah. care.
2: No, you did I well. You did really well. You yeah, did really yeah, well. Yeah. But it um, was like.
4: <laughs> I, I, feel like I, can't, I, I feel like I can't really make fun of Josselu because he had his sort of, you know, incredible... He was called up to the senior squad for the first time at the age of 33, and this is great. And then he came off the bench and he scored two goals this first Yes, but that was against Norway, so I did not enjoy that. It uh, <laughs> was early, earlier this year. He, uh, he, it's not been a great year for us, but uh, yeah, he, he was there. Um, Luka Modric... I heard question mark was is, is are we doing this still? I mean he still he still looks good to me.
2: I was going to say actually Hos Hosulu is like a um a Spanish Ricky Lambert uh, without the uh, great awakening. Let's put it that way. Well
1: we don't know that yet, do we? we so wait for a few <laughs> years. I saw I wonder if it was for Real Madrid. Is that like a veg horse sort of sign? It just seems strange yeah. to, to to come in for Benzema, right? That can't be it for Real Madrid well, he's, 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 he's gone into double
4: figures in La Liga every year for the last four years playing for like Alaves and Espanyol so I mean he, he's really got something about him and you need he's, I'm going to go ahead and guess that Rosselló is not Real Madrid starting number nine when the season kicks off but you need an option up front
1: don't you yeah it's like
2: City signing Che Adams
1: or something like that uh, I reckon he'd get a few to be fair Che I mean, oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jordan uh, what, uh, a word on Croatia, right? I mean, it, it does feel, not that this is the Euros or the World Cup, but it would have been nice if this Croatia team could have lifted a trophy after given everything that they have sort of given to football with a tiny population and just that three in midfield.
0: Yeah, I guess. I mean, you're nicer than me, so I guess... I, I guess well, you just don't care? There's no place I, for uh, romance uh, uh, in this? No, unless I'm involved in the romance, then then no. I mean... <laughs> no romance for anyone only me
1: it's <laughs> that, that, that literally for no one on just earth just
4: me like, birth <laughs> rates will plummet under the JJB plan <laughs> yes.
1: just he strolls in the park and there's a young, young lovers sitting on a bench and just like nah it's not, not me there's no love <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean I, I guess we'll go with it it would have been nice for them to win it I, I don't particularly care um uh, listen, they've they've done really well in the last handful of tournaments. And if you're a Croatian, you'd have liked to crown that with something. And if you're a nice person like you are, Max, it'd have been good to see as well. But I, I don't really care about any other nation or team apart from the ones that I support. So, sorry.
1: Right. So there we are. There's the uh, probable end of quite a few Croatia players. Uh, and that's their tribute, <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid. Uh, Italy beat <laughs> Netherlands 3-2 uh, in the third place playoff, if we're talking about, I mean, Games that didn't need to happen. The third place playoff of the Nations League yeah. of a Ooh. Sunday <laughs> afternoon. Not fair in anyone. In games that do matter, uh, Wales, John, uh, against Armenia. I mean, this yes. was bleak. Oh. Wasn't? I didn't even have the heart to message Ellis and ask for a voice note. I just couldn't do it.
2: No, no. I I, um, I watched the highlights package of this. Uh, and uh, it's with Dean Saunders as co-commentator. You know, Dean Saunders is a very engaging chap, as we know. Uh and it started off with goes there's no reason why Wales shouldn't just blow this lot away, you know, and just you know, and, and then and obviously it's a it's a sixty-seven minute highlights reel and it just <laughs> cuts through and then by the end he is just destroying He's like why has he not chased that down and like <laughs> it is yeah, just it, it seen through the eyes of Dean Saunders, it was a utter disaster. And um and actually beyond that in Wales is being seen as a, a wide disaster, and you know Rob Page, someone that I think on the pod, and everyone has agreed has done a fine job stepping in in difficult circumstances. Bit of pressure on him. He's been on a horrible run. Not great, really, is it to see them? I suppose we, it might be expected in the the, the post bail days, and the fact that bail towards the end of his time was was on the way out anyway. Um, but not pleasant. Um, but I think. I've got a feeling that a few people, and and Lars will probably agree with this, have have underestimated Armenia in the time. Quite a talented team, I think.
4: Yeah, there's there's a couple of decent players in there, and uh, I I like I like I like their coach uh, Alexander Petrakov, because he was. Uh, um, I mean, I I jest. I mean, it's obviously a very horrible situation, but he he attempted to sign up to the defense of Ukraine. He wanted to go fight in the war. Uh, but you know, he's wow. he's in his 60s and has no military background. So they were like, listen, we, we appreciate the spirit, old man, but this is maybe not for you. And, uh, and he's gone off. It's an
1: amazing story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
4: That? Just, uh, and that is, I mean, I don't know what it feels like to have your country invaded. I suppose quite a few people probably would react in that way, but yeah, quite a spirited, uh, individual, uh, no doubt. But, no, there's, there's some very tidy technical players in the Armenia team. So obviously they're a team you, you hope to get a result against, but, uh, if they were completely dismissive about it early doors, then they deserved what 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 came after.
2: And, 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 and to finish, Kiefer Moore is sending off. It was this terrible tangle with a goalie reminded a bit of Beckham and Diego Simeone, but a bit more malice to it. The goalkeeper did make a, a you know the acrobatics from tearing himself out of were, were quite something. It yeah,
1: I mean, I suppose keepers dive around a lot, don't they? So they've got they sort of no... They know that if they land, they'll be okay because there's a practice yeah. at it. Yeah, yeah. But but he went down. He didn't get yes. up to save the yeah. rebound, did he? That quickly, like it, like like no. he may have done. But look, no. their goals were great. Actually, Ranos's two were good finishes. And the first goal from uh, Zalarayan was a, a beautiful volley into the top corner. But yeah, Rob Page just sort of said, look, it's a blip, and we go again. Um, they play Turkey tonight, so they, they need to bounce back. Uh, Lars, you, some more info on that. The guy who scored the volley. Well,
4: just Lucas Larian, who is uh, the uh, the uh, very well regarded playmaker of the Columbus True in MLS, uh, who's actually bo- born in Argentina, uh, but has uh, has Armenian heritage through his father and is playing for Armenia. A bit of a commute, I guess, but uh, yeah, it's a very very good player and a good example of what you're just saying. It's a very technically tidy player. I suspect. His sort of best goals YouTube thing is quite good. He scored some bangers
1: in in MLS the last few years. Uh, uh, Republic of Ireland lost in Greece. I presume you don't care, Jordan? (laughs) Um, uh, They are. uh, Stephen Kenny, again. Actually, unlike Rob Page, Rob Page has sort of credit in the bank, you feel. Um, But I don't know if Stephen Kenny does. A lot of people didn't really want him to get the job in the first place. He had a lot of... Time he was trying to change the style of this team. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know. Um,
2: I think it's been, I, don't a, know it. I was going to say, it's, it's been a philosophical discussion, hasn't it? Of You know, shall Ireland at last change the style of play from the style of play that we recognise Ireland have, which is, it's not Jack Charlton, but it's essentially direct football to a more passing style of play. One of the issues is that football has actually become more direct at the top level in the time since Stephen Kenny's trying to pull this around. And the issue, I believe in Ireland chatting to friends over there, you know, got some close friends over there, um, is that Ireland fans are looking at the fact they're bringing through good players and that they're not actually seeing enough of the ball and aren't playing well. So a player like Evan Ferguson, you know, one of the breakout players of the Premier League season, they can't get the ball to him. That's a problem, isn't it? And, um, still, Listen, I think there's always been a lobby in Ireland that Stephen Kenny should never have got the job, where they wanted him out from the very start. I think that's growing now. Uh, they played Gibraltar. Uh, now, if they lose that, well, obviously, that is the end. It seems unlikely that it would be they would lose that, but you have to fear for, for Stephen Kenny, the boss man, Steo, as we should always refer to him.
4: Having no skin in this game at all, I just... It's an international football thing, and, and I know a thing or two about this. Being from a uh, never to come a smaller country, is that you are kind of beholden to the generation of players that you have in front of you, right? So, so, so you guys, w- without cheating, can you name a central? You know, they played with three midfielders in this game, Ireland. Can you name one of them without looking it up? Um, Andy Townsend, Jason Malumbi. Ah, see, there we go because of all your Irish friends, John. Ruin. Very good. Yeah, yeah, my my yeah, yeah. my my point being more: your your midfield is is Colin Smallbone and Malumbi. You know, yeah, there's a reason you can't get the ball to Evan Ferguson. Some of these guys are a bit younger, and maybe if you give them time, they'll grow into something. But with this whole Stephen Kenny discourse, it's not as if if you put like Neil Warnock in there and, and knock it long, suddenly you'll become a brilliant team. Like there just there is a group of players that has some pretty strong, yeah, limitations.
1: And look, that's an interesting point you make like Northern Ireland have a sort of simile like even more of a sort of hodgepodge squad don't they. Uh, Aker says I was at the pub on Friday for the Northern Ireland game. We went wild with ecstasy when the last minute goal went in only to have to sit down again after it was disallowed. Um, uh, what are the most embarrassing circumstances you've celebrated a goal only to see it disallowed. It brings me back memories of uh, my friend Matt Walsh a Man City fan who was in a pub full of Spurs fans in that City Spurs game in the Champions League. And he sort of went Neanderthal when, uh, uh, was it Sterling scored? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And it took a long time and then had to sit there in absolute silence. It was great. But um, yeah, that was a long old wait uh, for the Northern Ireland fans. I thought it was good. It was a six minute or something offside call. Um, uh, But, uh, you know, a 1-0 defeat Lars at Denmark is not a disgrace, is it?
4: No. And I mean, I guess that's... um... I mean, I guess that's what you do if you're Northern Ireland. You 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 try to keep it, stay compact and keep it tight and make it difficult. And you know, Denmark didn't create a ton of massive chances, but they kind of got there in the end. And uh, I guess this isn't if you look at the group, Denmark away isn't where you're expecting to to get your points here if you're if you're Northern Ireland. But it is, it's 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 still it's still kind of, there's something there for them, I think. Because if you look at the group, yeah, you expect Denmark to win that, but you've got Kazakhstan, Finland, Slovenia, and San Marino, right? Kazakhstan, Finland, and Slovenia are all teams. I think Northern Ireland, if they if things break a little bit in their favor and if they're at their best, they can get results against. So, you know, there's there's possibilities here still, I think.
1: Um, well, we'll cover all of uh, uh, tonight's qualifiers on tomorrow's pod. And, uh, it's worth congratulating USMNT. You beat Canada in the CONCACAF yeah. Nations League final. Uh, successive CONCACAF Nations League titles. Following Balogan and Chris Richards uh, scored their first international goals, two assists for now back in the uh, back in the uh, group. Gio Reyna, um, their semi-final was very controversial. 3-0 win over Mexico, but the game was abandoned, sort of or, or sort of uh, they were taken off the pitch very late on in the game because of homophobic chanting, um, and four players were sent off in that game. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know if you did you see this, Lars.
4: So the the CONCACAF final was last night and it started at an hour where I wanted to watch it, but I would have been even less exciting to listen to in this podcast (laughs) than I have, which is saying something. So, yeah, I decided not. But I do note that the U.S. went with a very attacking lineup. You had a midfield three of Gio Reyna, now. Uh, Younes Moussa, who can play as the anchor, but he's more of a number eight. And, and Brendan Aronson in Central in the midfield three. That is quite gung-ho, I think, in in a final against uh, uh, local rivals Canada, who are not bad at the moment. You know, we remember from the World Cup, Canada are a quite capable team. So brave team selection. Uh, from, from the US uh, rewarded uh, in, in a win and uh, looking at sort of clips of, on the internet this morning it seemed like the players for them certainly the, the CONCACAF Nations League appears to have mattered quite a lot and I guess that's if you play your local rivals in a very tetchy tetchy game in the semis and then in Canada and final that, that adds a, a little bit of spice to proceedings
1: um, alright that'll do for part 2 uh, we'll look at some transfer stuff in part 3 Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Arteta talking to PSG, uh, Jordan. I mean, this has got to be... About what? Uh, yeah, well, about what is a good question. Um, the, the thought that anybody... I mean, it's got to be nonsense, right? But the thought that anybody would go from what he has built at Arsenal to the bin fire that is Paris Saint-Germain, I mean, it would be absolutely hilarious.
0: For you, maybe. A bit, you know, less, less so for me. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it has been... This morning, kind of poo pooed from from what I've seen, anyway, and it doesn't make any sense. So I don't think that would go any 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 further. They they're looking for a manager, um, and I, I think they're looking at different types of managers. And Arteta's had a good season, and I, it makes sense they'd be linked with him. But I, he's building something at Arsenal, as you say. Apart from a bucket load of cash, I don't see any re other reason, which is a good reason to be fair. But no other reason why. He would, um, move over there. There's stability at Arsenal. There isn't at Paris Saint-Germain. He's in a competitive league. It's not competitive in, 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 in France. So, so yeah, I, I expect this to be, um, to, to, to not go anywhere. But I think that who they do appoint, I am keen to see because they've done the experience, world-class managers. They tried something with, forgive me for getting his, his name.
1: Yeah, Christophe yeah.
0: Yes. Who was highly regarded in in France and it hasn't really worked out there. So I'm keen to kind of see what direction they're going um, going going forward.
1: That is interesting actually because I remember when when Gaultier got the job, but even Philippe was like, "Actually, this is this seems worryingly sensible," uh, and even worryingly sensible Lars didn't didn't work. Is it Luis Enrique who's obviously been touted for every job? Now it looks like he's he's chatting to them.
4: So the funny thing about Gauthier was that everyone said, yeah, worryingly sensible. And then for the first few months, it looked like, oh, maybe his sort of, you know, solid old school fundamental approach is, is getting... Res-. And then halfway through the season, it kind of derails and you have exactly the same problems that you always have because the dressing room is essentially unmanageable and the squad is, is put together by people who don't understand football. Uh, I it, it would be funny if Arteta went there and they did like a new Amazon sort of behind the scenes uh, thing uh, and and he, I would just I would pay so much money to watch him sort of draw the, the heart and the brain holding hands and just cut immediately to what Mbappe and Neymar makes of it. I mean, that would be tremendous. Uh, it's just such a perfect thing for him at Arsenal, where he has a group of young players who seem to hold him in an extremely hard, high regard and will run through walls for him. And you know why would you do anything other than want to build on that? Uh, Luis Enrique, um, another one who's just how is that going to work? Because. You keep hearing these things. People suggest that PSG want to be less of a dumpster fire. Like they they want to be less of a clown car, uh, and and they want to sign more sensible players and, and higher sensible managers. But I just worry that when push comes to shove, star power is just too strong in that dressing room. Luis Enrique. I'm sure we'll have Sid on to talk about him more at some point, but he is a very strong character, you know, he's a very principled individual, he's not afraid of ruffling feathers, he's not afraid of having digs at the media, not afraid of doing you know, making tough decisions and team selections He's one of those dudes who does like Iron Man stuff on the on the side, like the 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 biking and running phrases and all that. He's,
1: Oh I see. That that Iron Man, not like getting into a sort of metal suit and yeah. flying. F- <laughs> he does he doesn't cosplay as the Marvel
4: character Iron Man, though. That is another thing I would pay good money to watch. Um so, so he on the surface of it, chucking him into that possibly unmanageable PSG dressing room sounds like a terrible idea. But you're also waiting for the time where PSG actually managed to maybe they're able to send Neymar off to Saudi Arabia and they can put, put some players together that are willing to run a bit more. And then you can have, uh, you know, Messi has gone. So there is an opportunity there to put together a team that makes more sense. But I, I would tend to think that PSG will remain PSG. And if they do, then I, I don't think Luis Enrique is going to have a great
1: time there. Uh, John, what do you make of the idea of Havertz to Arsenal?
2: Until Mikel Arteta turned around Arsenal, I'd have said Havertz is the most Arsenal Arsenal player that you could possibly get. And now I do wonder whether he has the moral fibre and moral courage to be an Arsenal player, to be that player to run through brick walls for Arteta, because I do think, but actually that could be a good fit. If Arteta could make him that player with all the talent he's got, um, it could be a good fit. They do seem keen on him. That one's been around for a while. Um but it does I am reminded a bit of when Arsenal Wenger started collecting number tens. Remember that when they used to have um who do they have, you know, Kleb, uh they had um Rizicki, um, they had um God got my memory, what's this the Spanish guy, Cazola, very good player. Uh, yeah Caz- Cazola Ashavin. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, but all the time but it, it felt like they were all there at the same time, they obviously weren't. But um, hmm. but if, if if that type of player, and but having described him as a number ten player, I'm not sure he's a number ten player because I I I've watched Kai Havertz for a few years. Nobody knows what his best position is, least of all him. I suspect
4: it's it's a really good point, uh, John, because i I've heard a lot of discussion about this potential transfer over the last few days. And a lot of funders are sort of talking about, well, we've never really seen much of him from Chelsea, blah, blah, blah. The thing that's weird is that when he came from... At Leverkusen, he was seen as much more of a, a, a midfielder and maybe an attack-minded one, but, but a midfielder, definitely, who would... I mean, I made the joke when he signed that, and I'm going to remake it now because people probably don't remember, that because he's from Leverkusen, his playing style was as if you put a Michael Balach and Dimitar Barbatov in a blender and just, like, and just kind of reassembled what came out of it because he had that sort of bursting from midfield like Balak would always do but he had a much more languid sort of brilliant fur touch but kind of slightly style, right? So he was kind of a love child of those two and from Leverkusen, so that made perfect sense. Um, but of course at Chelsea, because they've got so many sort of vaguely attacking midfielders and they've had no functioning number nine throughout the time he's been there. He's ended up having to play striker by default a lot. And I'm not sure it really suits him, I, 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 don't, think it it's ever, do I don't think it's ever really happened. And we've never seen him play consistently in his best position in a team that actually works. That's not something I think we've seen at Chelsea. So it would be really interesting to see if Arteta could find a way because he is a guy who's got so much going for him in terms of his skill set. It's just very, very clear that we've never seen the best of him in England and I don't think it's all his fault.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think this goes back to what we said earlier in the pod about football not being defined in terms of positions anymore. I think he's a player that can... He plays football. He's a very good footballer. He's a very intelligent football player. On the face of it, there's no obvious fit for him in the, in the team. But I can only imagine Arteta wants to use him as an alternative to Odegaard. That's what I think he would use him as. I don't think he'll be an alternative to Gabriel or Jesus. I agree with Lars. I think he's played that striker role because they've had no alternative. They've had nothing else. So you can kind of attack and you're kind of tall. Go on, you go up front. And it's almost killed him. He's had a really bad season at Chelsea, but I don't think that's in part, as Lars says, mainly to him. So I I don't see where he plays other than as a replacement for uh, Martin Odegaard but um but i don't think we, i think we should look less to where's the obvious position for him and more to what is the system that arteta is trying to employ at arsenal and can players be adaptable to those systems of which i think he he, he can
1: uh, obviously loads of gossip doing the rounds about uh, um Caicedo, uh, and uh, chelsea trying to uh, get him possibly and trying to sell their entire midfield and attack at the moment um, to
2: saudi arabia
1: yeah, possibly. Well, um, Ruben Neves is going there, going to Al-Hilal for £47 million. Um, is, is he the sort of youngest, you know, top player? Like
2: The thing is, Ruben Neves has that a long career because he was captain of Porto at 18, wasn't he? And I've, every summer there is a Ruben Neves linked with, and it would be one of Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United. It never comes off. I remember there was a... So there was a certain tranche of Manchester United fans who were obsessed with him a couple of years ago that he was going to go there, but he uh, listen. For, speak to Wolves' fan team, but what a good player he's been for them. But I'm never quite sure he's of the the top of most of the top of most class. Not, very, not particularly quick. All the touches. Very skillful player. Um, mm.
1: Hits a I good wish... volley that, from a yeah, corner he's... that's headed out to the edge of the box. That's sort of that's sort of what you're getting, aren't you? You're getting yeah, yeah. two or three absolute bangers a season, and then yeah, he'd like...
2: be amazing at Soccer Aid. Yeah, yeah,
1: uh, but, oh, really, um, really good.
2: He'd yeah. be really good at Soccer Aid, but you know, and, and listen, that actually maybe that's the type of player that's suited to the Saudi League or what they're trying to do over there. But he is one of those players, obviously, closely associated with George Mendes, that you would call an agency player if
1: you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, um, uh, Let's move on and talk about Martin Tyler because I think that's Uh, more interesting, lots of transfer gossip. Um, The esteemed writer, John Bruin, uh, wrote in The Guardian that his voice and love for the game are a constant between football eras. Uh, He's not retiring, um, so he'll still do lots of the world feeds. just won't be at Sky. And I suppose it is interesting when you you look at Jeff Stelling, John, as well, like, you know, those people who have gone through generations of football fans. You know, there are generations of people and I suppose he he was there when I started. He probably wasn't as... Uh, front and centre as Motson or Davis or Brian Moore, but he's always been there and to have had a career this long is, is sort of pretty incredible.
2: Yeah, it is. I mean I, I was asked to do the piece on Saturday morning and yeah the 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 thing is with him he I remember him being back in Granada days. Uh you know he was the voice of Granada soccer uh and um yeah and then he became then he made that, I suppose, that sort of renegade move to Sky, the satellite channel, that no one really knew what was going to happen with that. And then, of course, through, let's call that fortune or or whatever, he ended up as the voice of Sky and has been ever since. Um, but it's interesting to think over his career because, or to think over the idea of a, of a commentator because, and as I tweeted about this the other day, um, there are so many people convinced that Martin Tyler hates their football team. Martin Tyler does not hate your football team. Uh, and, and the thing is that having chatted to Martin a couple of times at matches, you know, just in a press room or whatever, there's a guy that loves football, loves, he's really enthusiastic about the 90 minutes ahead. Um, and the weirdo conspiracy theories you get about these people, I think part of it is that if you're watching a match and your team loses, everything's going to irritate you. And the a commentator is a constant presence in the room. Or, and, and you just can't, you can't deal with that. Um, but I think he's been at the top of his game since, I mean, he was the voice of the ITV at the 1982 World Cup. As you say, he isn't planning to step down uh, during COVID. Uh, he got dispensations to travel around when, you know, people of his age were, were told pretty much to to, to stay at home the man just loves football and loves going to football. Um, and he's going to be replaced by Peter Drury, who I think might be the only person who loves football more than Martin Tyler. Um, uh, and, you know, it, 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 it's going to be interesting to see how Peter Drury comes across because, uh, again, I, I've, I've known Peter Drury a little bit than Martin Tyler. Actually, he's worked with him a few years back. Um, lovely guy. Again, utter, utter enthusiasm for football. Um, also, very very funny man away from the mic, but obviously he has that sort of <laughs> that almost a theatrical bombastic style that maybe not is not to everybody's taste. Uh, but there's some great quotes there, and there'll be some great moments this time with Sky. But I do think there's a, there's a new generation of commentators coming through, isn't there? Uh, that, that are going to be waiting through that um, friend of the show, Seb Hutchinson, Ian Bullenstein. So yeah, I think that, that scene is all gonna be changing and of course you've got this new TNT channel coming. So football's gonna sound maybe a bit different next season. The thing I was gonna say about Martin Sanders is he is the voice of if you think of anything, it's like that sky revolution, that sort of nineties thing and as a that sort of that sort of remember the grainy picture. Remember the uh the sort of shoom of the replays yeah, yeah, and all that. Yeah, this? lots the,
1: of flashes, yeah,
2: you know, yeah. The utter hype of this sort of, you know, they're trying to sell, just basically, they're trying to sell satellite dishes for Rupert Murdoch. That's what they're trying to do. And he was the, Martin Tyler was the sort of straight man amongst this. Obviously, he got excited about the football, but those around him, your Richard Keys, your Andy Gray, you know, everyone else is trying to push, 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 sell. You know, get, and it it was a very, <laughs> if you look back on those broadcasts, it, it does seem quite on edge, very different to what you get now, because Sky is a much more mature thing.
1: Yeah. I think what's, I mean, it is also worth mentioning the thing that, you know, the moment for commentators, right? You've got to be good at all of it. You've got to be good at the kind of small talk where nothing's happening. And you've got to be, you've got to know the game, but not necessarily offer your opinion. You know, these are those technical things, but to get the moments right. And, you know, there are just so many of them The and you wrote about it and we played them on TalkSport yesterday, you know, the Collie Moore one in the 4-3. Tony Adams, you know, can you believe it? Aguero, of course. And it, and they are sort of instinctive. They don't feel like he's written them down you can't write them down because you'd have to write so many what if they score in the last minute what if they do etc and he he, and he gets those right and Drury is really interesting because I think a lot of um, I think he's a great commentator but obviously a lot of in the UK a lot of people only see those moments right and you know and he he like he is incredibly flamboyant and, and like brilliant kind of operatic delivery of those moments and uh, he's got I think Barry was telling me yesterday he's got this David Squires cartoon framed when David Squires did a Peter Drury Cartoon of which there's one frame which is uh, he's just sitting there, you know. With, with a fork in his mouth and he's just saying not here not now start to believe because this is happening and his wife is next to him going it's only lasagna um,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that, absolutely brilliant anyway we wish him uh, the best of luck well done to graham Sunez, who uh swam the channel uh, uh and uh, aiming to raise a million pounds for charity um uh, you've probably seen the videos of of, uh, of him doing it and talking about it. Um, but for a 70-year-old, blimey, uh, uh, it took him 12 hours and 17 minutes. Um, so fair play to, to Graham Sooness. And he says, when will uh, uh, Max Russian's awful controversy, which has clearly led to his social media holiday, come out? I'm guessing he's become an Arsenal fan. Now they're good again. Is hoping everyone's forgotten he's a Spurs fan by the time he comes out. I was going
2: depends- to say, we... we- are you going
1: to suddenly wash up at Partygate videos or something like that? Is it? <laughs> yeah, there's me in braces with uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg. Just, yeah, doing the, doing the can-can with Liz Truss. I happened to do that during COVID. I apologise. Yeah, I'm just taking two months off social media. I, I've scheduled loads of tweets to flog the Guardian Football Weekly book, so it won't look like I'm off. I'm just not consuming... Uh, I'm not consuming it and I'm getting producers to send out tweets on my behalf but yeah as Barry pointed out it's very virtuous and pompous I feel really good I started reading a book yesterday absolutely wild times uh, Alan says, um, uh, being a long term listener, I've noticed I've begun finishing Zoom meetings with that'll do for today. How long, uh, therefore, will it be before I open those meetings with on the panel today? (laughs) Oh, well, look, good luck. (laughs) Good luck with that, Alan. Um, Anyway, that'll do for today's podcast. Um, I I didn't even mean to do it. Um, But there we go. Uh, um, Thanks so much for coming on, Jordan.
0: Cheers, mate. Uh, Thanks, John. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks, Lars. Thank you, Max. Football Weekly was produced by George Cooper. Our executive producer is Max Anderson. We'll be back tomorrow.